Welcome to Q&A with Rev Rowe. This is episode 11, which is all about Judas and the Lord's Supper. Glad to have you with us as we get to episode 11, um, where we're going to be touching on a really interesting topic, um, which was brought upon um, by one question by you, the listener, um, about Judas and the Last Supper. So one of the exciting parts about this episode is we're going to be able to explore um, some really interesting things um, that we have that are actually unique to our own church body, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, Um, not exclusive to our church body, but um, one of the more unique parts. And for many at least, is also one of the more controversial uh, positions of our own church body about the Lord's Supper. But We begin first with our question that was presented, which is, did Judas take the Lord's Supper on the night he betrayed Jesus? This is a really interesting question uh, for a couple of different reasons. Um, It's sort of an interesting question because it's a pretty obvious one to ask um, when you look at the narrative itself, where since Judas is the one who would eventually betray Jesus to his death, it's interesting to consider did Judas receive the Passover meal with Jesus at the table? Because if he did, this would really alter, I think, and change the way we, you know, kind of view the Lord's Supper, how we perceive it, um, and our relationship to that table. Um, and so, this is kind of where the question comes from, and it's a really interesting one. Now, This is going to allow us also the opportunity to talk a little bit about the Lord's Supper itself um, and how we practice it, or what we often will just call communion. So, uh, we have to first start with the first Lord's Supper, or what we call the Last Supper, or what we now refer to as communion. The very first one, which was Jesus um, on Holy Week, on what we call Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday, Jesus has the Passover meal, which was the Jewish meal um, celebrating the night when the Israelites were freed from slavery and bondage in Egypt um, through the the final plague that God sent unto the Egyptians to kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians, which brought about the salvation of Israel. Um, and so they have this meal in Israel. The Jews would eat this meal every year. They still do um, in remembrance of that Passover um, when the angel of death passed over um, the Israelites that night. And so this meal is a commemoration of that event. And so the Last Supper is when Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover together. Now, obviously, the Passover takes on a different characteristic after Jesus does it and after the death and resurrection of Jesus on Good Friday and Easter it is no longer just a commemoration of the Passover in Exodus, but the new Passover where God redeems all people through the death and resurrection of Jesus uh, from sin itself, from bondage to sin. And so that's essentially what the Lord's Supper is. If you have any questions about those specifically, you know, maybe we can explore the Passover in another episode. But at the very least, 
That is what's going on in the Last Supper. And so the question is, is on the night, that night when they had the meal, did Judas betray him and then have the meal? Or did he leave before the meal was shared when Jesus gives the cup and the bread and says, this is my body, this is my blood? Um, Did he do that knowing uh, that Judas betrayed him? uh, Or did it happen after? Now, the unfortunate thing is that all four of our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have logistical, chronological challenges in deciding and understanding whether Judas was at the table when Jesus instituted or presented the body and the blood of Christ to his disciples. Because depending on the Gospel that you read, it can kind of be taken in both directions. Um And so, depending on which gospel you're reading, it can seem like Judas betrayed him and left, and then they shared into the meal, while in other instances, you might read it, and it looks like he's still there, even after the, or even the meal is shared, and then he leaves after the meal. It's a little challenging. Um, So, in Mark, for example... Judas is called out before the Lord's Supper is instituted, which allows a lot of flexibility for Judas to have just left. um, Because in the other Gospels, once Jesus calls him out and says, you're the one that would betray me, he leaves. Same is true with Matthew. But in the Gospel of Luke, the timetable is mixed, or it's the other direction, where Judas seems to be called out after the Lord's Supper has already been instituted, which would lead us to believe that, well, in that instance, it seems as though Judas was there after he instituted the Lord's Supper. And then in the Gospel of John, there is no institution of the Lord's Supper. But on that same night, he did wash his disciples' feet. And it did seem that Jesus was eating with Judas. So chronologically, when you're reading the Gospels, it's not 100% clear whether Judas was there for the Lord's Supper or whether he left prior to it, Um, which makes things difficult because you can't really make a statement to say, well, when we take the Lord's Supper, even the person who sentenced him to his death went to the Lord's Supper, so we should, you know, let everybody go to the table, right? That would be sort of the argument, but it falls apart mainly because you can't really be certain uh, by Putting all the Gospels together, it changes and varies depending on which one you're reading. So, but regardless of whether he was there or not, we still can, you know, approach the question anyways. So, this kind of leads us to a deeper discussion about the Lord's Supper because I think when people ask, was Judas at the Lord's Supper with Jesus when he instituted it, instituted it, offers us a consideration to say, well, does that mean that we as a church should never prevent anybody from receiving the Lord's Supper? Now, depending on the church body you go to, um, there's variations on how the last the Lord's Supper is practiced. Um, but in our church body, one of the unique features of our own is that we have what is called closed communion or close communion, or we have some and some types of restrictions on those who can take the Lord's Supper. Now, of course, this you know practice, this teaching, 
is a <laughs> brings a lot of consternation upon our church body because a lot of other church bodies don't do it, and so many people will go to our church feel very um, unwelcomed or dismissed or rejected because of that. And it's really kind of unfortunate because we don't really get a chance to explain ourselves um, as to why we do what we do um, because it's pretty clear to say that we don't do this because we don't want people to feel welcomed. Um, There's a theological reason for why we do what we do, just as every church body has theological reasons for why they act and do what they do. Um, And so regardless of whether Judas was there or not, we can still come up with a pretty um, solid understanding of what the Lord's Supper is. So to begin with, the Lord's Supper is um, about God giving us his forgiveness, um, giving us himself, giving us grace. Um, Now, that is what it is all about, of course. But there is also another side to the Lord's Supper. So the way I like to describe it is there are two elements to the Lord's Supper. The one part is pretty easy, and every Christian usually understands this one, which is the relationship that you have with God and with Jesus. So when you come to the Lord's table, there is an understanding that we go to the Lord's table when we know Jesus, we need his forgiveness, and we know that Jesus is there to give it, and so we go there. Okay? That's one that everybody can understand. So most Christians go to the Lord's Supper because they know that they are a sinner and they need forgiveness, and the Lord's Supper is where they receive that forgiveness. And so we all understand that very well. This is why for many people, when they go to a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation, they feel really off-put by not being allowed to go to the rail. And that's very understandable um, because for most of us, we only think about that aspect of the Lord's Supper. Now, for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod people, um, for us, con- our congregations, the reason why we don't let everybody go to the rail, but that we do have some restrictions um, for who can is because of primarily Paul's letter to First Corinthians, of uh, First Corinthians chapter eleven. So in the book of Corinthians, there is a lot of uh, divisions that exist among the the people and the members of the congregations in the city of Corinth, and Paul is spending most of the letter discussing those divisions, but particularly in chapter eleven, verses seventeen, um, all the way to the end of the chapter. He talks about how those divisions that exist in that church are starting to now approach the Lord's Supper, where those divisions that had been festering in the congregation itself are now starting to bleed out into the Lord's Supper itself, where certain people are taking the Lord's Supper with, you know, the richer communing here and the poor are communing here. Um, and that there, those divisions that existed culturally and in, you know, relationally and theologically, are now starting to affect how people receive the Lord's Supper, right? Where people aren't really communing together, and Paul is quite disgusted by this practice, um, where the divisions that exist in the church are being ignored um, and forgotten about, and he says it's destructive. And so that's why he says in verse 27 of chapter 11, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Um, so Paul here is primarily talking about discernment of the body of Christ in its entirety. We often think of discerning the body and the blood as that you are supposed to fully understand what's going on mentally. Now, it's pretty easy to say that the vast majority of us don't fully wrap our heads around what the Lord's Supper is, and that's certainly not what we're expected to do, especially considering the disciples themselves wouldn't have fully grasped what was going on. Um, Discernment of the body has to do with all that is entailed in this meal, both our unity with one another and our unity with Christ. And so going back to my point that I was making, where most of us go to the Lord's Supper and we say, this is a relationship between me and Jesus. I receive forgiveness and love from him at the table. Um, So of course I go. That is certainly true. Um, Every Christian that goes to our church, um, no matter what denomination, is certainly worthy to take the Lord's Supper in the sense that we all are people who believe in Jesus and need his forgiveness. There's no doubt about that. But it's this other side of things, which is that we still on this earth are divided with each other. Um, There are divisions not only in the world that exist, but even in the church. Um, Even amongst fellow Christians, we still um, are divided. It's the reason why in our small town of Carroll, we have to have all kinds of different Christian churches um, because we still have disagreements on all kinds of different things. And of course, the Lord's Supper is one of those major disagreements, even in the Christian church, um, ironically enough. Um, But this is kind of where the practice comes from, is that we see, one, that you have a relationship with Jesus, but two, you have a relationship with the people next to you. So if there's a conflict, if there's an issue that exists between you and someone else that you're communing with, we don't want to ignore those. We don't want to pretend like they don't exist, um, because those can be just as destructive um, as anything else. To kind of put it in a like more practical image for you, it might be helpful to think of it this way. If you're in a family, let's say, you know, two parents and a few kids in the house, if there's a conflict that exists between the two siblings, like a deep conflict um, and disagreement um, about something between each other, if we were to ignore those disagreements and let them fester, what will typically happen is it will lead to kind of an explosive issue at some point. Um, And the same is true here. When we are having disagreements, and this could be theological, but it's also relational issues too, um, it's important not to pretend that they don't exist, but to try to reconcile with each other and to restore the relationship. Um, So that's kind of the whole idea behind Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11, and it's one of the reasons why our church does practice this idea of closed communion or close communion. It's not a sign telling people you're not welcome and we don't want you to come. It's simply saying that sin exists in the world. We are still not unified as a church, as a body of Christ yet. Um, and we want to seek to bring that unity together, um, not pretend as though we are unified at the same time. Now, certainly at the end of time, we will all be unified. Uh, When Christ comes again, he will um, finally put to rest all of our divisions, which, Lord, we pray that that would happen soon. Um, But it's really important never to, you know, ignore the the feelings of other people. 
Um, so in a family, going back to my example, if there is a disagreement, um, we don't just say, oh, it's no big deal. Stop arguing. Well, what if it is an important thing for someone in that house? Um, what if it someone in that house is being deeply hurt by um, something that the other person has said? Well, we don't want to pretend like that doesn't matter. We do want to talk about it. And of course, the Christian churches have been talking about it for um, thousands of years now, and we want to keep doing that. And we want to be open and honest um, with each other as we talk. But um, just as a way of wrapping things up now, since we're kind of getting to that time in our episode, um, so we talked a little bit about Judas um, being at the table. And so we can't really logistically tell um, chronologically based on the Gospels where Judas was during the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, but regardless of whether he was there or not, um, it is a strange argument to make, I believe, to say that because Judas was at the table, um, let's say he was there for the Last Supper, that we can also let anybody come to the table because <laughs> labeling ourselves Judas is probably not the best example to use, um, which is why we spend more time talking about 1 Corinthians 11. Um, so we talked about that. Um, but I think the main thing is when you're talking about the Lord's Supper, going to the Lord's table, we want you to think about the two parts of your life. One, the relationship you have with Jesus, which if you're a Christian, you're probably worthy of that forgiveness and you need that forgiveness just as anybody does. Um, but it's also important to remember our relationship with those around us. Um, the people we commune with, the church members that are there, um, our theological differences, our emotional differences, our um, physical communal conflicts, and of course, even the conflicts that exist of sin between two or more individuals. Um, and so I hope that this is somewhat helpful in trying to understand a little bit as to why our church does what they do. So if you are someone who is not a member of our church, or you know someone that um, is not, and they've been offended by this, I hope that maybe this clarifies a little bit um, what it is that we teach and what it is that we believe about the Lord's Supper. Um, that it usually has nothing to do with a direct attack on the individual. It has to do with just the reality of sin that exists even in the church today, um, that our disagreements are there, they exist, um, and we want to make sure we acknowledge them, but also to seek to try to um, bring ourselves together in reconciliation. So I'm so glad that you joined us. If you have any questions that have, may have been spurned on, uh, maybe you'd like to hear more about the Lord's Supper in general. Um, about what the Lord's Supper is, about what we teach, about what it is, um, not just who can go to the table, but what exactly is happening at the table, um, feel free to follow the link in the notes description of this episode, and we'd love to get to that at a later date. Um, but I hope that this is helpful, and we will see you all on the next one.